So I've been working a little bit lately on my dying words, and uh, it's really tough. It's tough to figure out how, what I want to say when I want to go. And you, I feel like this is the sort of thing that you ought to plan out, because otherwise you run the risk of like internet fame. If you there was this uh, singer named Ace, and and he's like, watch this, it's not going to go off, as he was playing with a gun backstage, and then it did. Uh, so you don't want that. So I could, you know, I could go like the humorous route. One of my heroes, R.P. Feynman, his last words were, ugh, dying is so boring. And that does seem kind of in character, but I think I'd prefer that my last words would be something like, you know, profound or meaningful. There was this uh, blues and gospel singer named Bessie Smith, and she said, I'm going, but I'm going in the name of the Lord. And I think that's such a lovely way to leave this world. So, you know, now I'm thinking about, okay, what's the profound wisdom that I want to impart upon my gathered, you know, hopefully somewhat sad family uh, as they're there. And, uh, and it's tough. Because I've never gone through the physical experience of dying before, so what if I mistime it and, like, I die early? And so, like, I'm halfway through, and it's like, but most important of all, ugh, right? And then my kids, the whole rest of their lives, are like, that was so dad, right? Or even worse, right? What if I mistime it, and then, like, I live a lot longer, or just maybe, like, an extra minute, and I'm forced to ad-lib at the end, Right? Like, that would, be, that would be even worse. I do not want to be going off the cuff while I'm dying, right? So this seems like the sort of thing that it would be worthwhile planning. And it, it feels important because this is going to be meaningful, right? Dad's last words to us, the, the wisdom of a lifetime, or the insight that he would have us hold really close to our hearts at the end. Interestingly, that's exactly what we are encountering in our verses today. Just a few verses before uh, we pick up here, Peter has dropped such a bombshell. He has just told the congregation that God has revealed that he is about to die. This marks then for him the, the last words to his flock, the, the, the profound meaning that he's looking to get across. And he highlights our text specifically today as being of particular importance. When we read it, you'll notice it starts with a phrase, knowing this first. Uh, that, that means keep this first in your mind as we talk about everything else. Keep this in the absolute front. So we're looking today at Peter's last God-inspired words to his congregation, very heavy stuff. In the run-up to it, he gives just a little bit of an autobiography and talks about the things that he's been through in this world. He, he got a chance to see Jesus transfigured on the mountain. He heard the voice of the Almighty say that Jesus was his son whom he loved. He had gone and seen uh, 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 prophecies, hundreds of years old, centuries old, millennia old prophecies be fulfilled right in front of him during this period of time where God had his most immediate work here on earth. It's easy actually to feel a little bit kind of jealous, even though we know how Peter was going to go and it was not pretty, right? Man, the confidence that you could feel like you would leave this world with having seen all of those things, it's so enviable. So, what is it that is most important for them to know? The closing thought 
that Peter the Apostle, speaking uh, or with the Holy Spirit speaking through him, leaves with his uh, congregation. We're reading today from the first chapter of the second uh, letter of Peter. We'll start uh, at, or uh, first chapter rather, uh, second Peter. Uh, we'll start reading at verse 20, and it goes, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The thing that Peter highlights for them to hold closest to their heart as he departs this life, he wants them to have confidence. That's why he went through those, that list of things that he had seen. What a gift that would be. To be able to have the confidence of Peter, a man who had seen firsthand these incredible, incredible things. But I I have to admit, that seems like a a, a pretty high bar to clear, to have that kind of uh, confidence. I mean, it doesn't sound attainable. Even in this, this room right here, this might be the kind of place that we would expect something amazing and miraculous to happen. Yesterday, we celebrated anniversaries of people who could have used their talents and gifts anywhere, but for decades have been here making the campus beautiful and valuable and functional and worthwhile. And we celebrated that. This room is stuffed full of pastors and generally seminary students. Uh, they've taken off the this week, but we'll give them a pass, right? Uh, uh, you know, generally speaking, this would seem to be the sort of place where if the Holy Spirit was going to descend in the form of a dove, man, it should be here. So it can feel like a little bit of a letdown sometimes when it's just us and the world, or a word. It's easy to feel maybe disappointed by that. I had a uh, teacher uh, who was not a Lutheran uh, teacher, to be clear, uh, who really, really wanted to have this kind of a physical experience. She wanted the confidence of Peter, but she wanted to have it by something through herself. Uh, I remember I got up during a test one time, and uh, I was going to ask her a question, and she was frantically scribbling something down on this uh, three-by-five, like, little post-it note thing. And I came up, I started to ask the question, and she shushed me, and she said to, to wait because she was receiving a message from God. Uh, right at that time. Now the core of what she wanted, I think, is probably something good. She wanted to have the same kind of confidence that Peter had, and she thought that the way to have that confidence was to have some special revelation of her own, for God to confirm that she was special to him. We really did not get along, actually, in hindsight. She performed an exorcism on me. That is a different sermon, okay? The point, the point is, because of that desire, she was able to take uh, God's word and, and twist it into something that, that Peter here is very, very clearly telling us that it's not. It turned into this tool to, to like prop up her mental uh, meanderings by which God would exist primarily to confirm the rightness of her thoughts, her words, and her thoughts on God were the ones that were important. And that that was where she could find confidence if only God would say, yeah, you are right. Yeah, you have got the right end of this thing. That's where she was looking 
for confidence. And scripture then simply was a support device for that. Now, I mentioned very clearly before I told that story that she, she was not Lutheran. But it's not as though Lutherans don't fall into exactly the same trap. Uh, maybe just for slightly different reasons or we cloak it uh, slightly more cunningly, right? Confidence is something that we crave. But our inclination is almost always to seek that confidence inside ourselves. I can look at my own life and the evidence of this is absolutely abundant. It it manifests itself, for example, anytime I hear the preaching of God's word and it's super easy for me to think about how much that applies to somebody else. When I hear the preaching of God's law and I think, oh yeah, I hope so-and-so is really listening right now because clearly they could stand to benefit from that. And think about so easily how this applies to everybody else while at the same time failing to apply it to myself, somebody who is absolutely just as uh, guilty and uh, needs it just as badly. It's a simple matter to transform the Bible into something that, just like the words in our text say, right, definitely comes by man instead when it's used as a self-serving instrument that justifies our words, that justifies our own actions, that justifies our outlooks, rather than something that condemns us harshly before setting us free. And the end result of that is we not only fail to take hold of the spirit-intended meaning delivered to us through Scripture, we also rob ourselves of the confidence that we were seeking in the very first place. These passages are really prominent uh, amongst us. We use them uh, to demonstrate verbal inspiration that God himself uh, was responsible for the writing of scripture, that this wasn't just the mental meanderings of simple uh, human beings. And so for a lot of you, you probably committed it to memory. When I committed it to memory, it was an old uh, translation, and it said uh, that men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And actually, that's, that word was very close to the, uh, the Greek word, pheromenoi, uh, uh, to uh, being carried, right? Prophets, it's interesting because it works with a little idiosyncrasy of the English language, right? Prophets didn't carry the word. They were carried by the word. As is so often the case, it was not the will of man. They were carried by God. And This is something that we see repeatedly. It's consistent with God's interactions with humanity in general. The effort is not ours. The effort is his. The carrying is not on us. The carrying was taken by him. God carries humanity. God carries us. His word carries us to Jesus by showing us how badly We need a savior from ourselves and from sin and from death. Even though Jesus, by his perfection, should have been able to to skip through life easily, immune to everything in this world, he elected to carry our sins. He carried his own cross. And when he was nailed to it on Golgotha, he carried our punishment with him to the absolute worst of places. He carried our death to that place so that he 
could carry us alive out of our tombs. His word carries us and lifts us up by baptism, just like the ark being pushed up, uh, lifted up by the waters as they go through. This one's been on my mind a lot lately, I have to admit. I'm hesitant to even talk about this. Uh, but I uh, went to the uh, uh, funeral for uh, uh, Greta Molstead, Pastor Molstead's um, daughter, who was so young. And it kept remind. I've been dwelling now all week on the very first funeral that I ever did. It was a double funeral. A grandmother had passed away, and then about three hours after she died, uh, her, uh, her brand new uh, newly born baby also uh, died uh, after living for only a few minutes, a few hours. And I keep finding myself revisiting that ever since then, that there was this tiny casket at the front of the church with a single stuffed animal next to it. It was all, the only thing that she could ever really say that she had possessed. And yet with absolutely full confidence, I could face a congregation of devastated friends and family members and say, I know that I will see her in heaven because it didn't have anything to do with who she was or what she thought or what she did or what she had. It had to do with what was given to her with a gift of faith and that faith to receive forgiveness. The gift of God through baptism to guarantee her a place in heaven. And that exact same guarantee upon which we dry our eyes for even the most dramatic of deaths, the deaths of children. That same guarantee applies exactly the same way to us. We leave this world the way that we came into it. We leave with nothing. All of the stuff that I've done and accumulated will be just as meaningful for my salvation as that single stuffed animal. It will mean nothing. But the forgiveness that did not originate with me but that was given to me through baptism, the faith that was delivered to me, raises me up that I might be carried by the Holy Spirit and rejoin my friends, my family, the family of all believers, carried into heaven. That is the confidence that we find in Peter's parting words from this world. We weren't on the Mount of Transfiguration. We didn't have our ears ringing when we heard this voice boom from heaven, acknowledging Jesus as his son. But our hope and our confidence doesn't rest on our experiences. It doesn't rest on ourselves. It doesn't rely on our private interpretation or the will of any other human being. It rests only in faith, given as a gift by God through scripture alone. Amen. Lord God, in the midst of an uncertain life, during uncertain times, in an uncertain world, we ask that you would once again turn our eyes away from ourselves and fix them on Jesus. Bless our work and ministries, that they would be fruitful for the sharing of your word, and grant us the peace that can only come from knowing that you carry us through life and death. Hear us for Christ's sake. Amen.